What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content is posted from. Of course, you can get it right at the source at SportsEthos.com, but for those of you who like to go through Twitter throughout most of the day like I do, very easily get access to all of our baseball articles, podcasts, and the rest of it just by following EthosFantasyBB. So make sure you guys check that out. This is our first show of 2023. Very exciting. There's nothing really special about this show in particular. There's no guest. It's just little old me. We're going to be going through our third episode of reviewing relief pitchers. And if you guys missed it, we had Greg Jewett on last Thursday, I believe it was. My days are all mixed up uh, over the course of the New Year weekend. Uh, one or two drinks found their way into my system. So I believe it was Thursday, but thinking back on it, uh, let me just check actually now because it's probably going to drive me crazy. Sometimes one of those little things gets into your head and drives you crazy. It was Thursday. We had Greg on, of course, and then Friday I did the solo second part to that. We're going to continue here today with the third part of our Relief Pitcher series. Now, this one isn't going to go on as long as some of the others did. It'll still be a few more episodes, I think, we're going to try and get through um, this entire week and just make it a relief pitcher week. There might be one episode where I go through my rankings because my catcher rankings are going to be coming out later on in the week. So we might talk about that for one day. Uh, but we're going to try and do mostly a relief pitcher-centric week here, talking about maybe not every single one, but you can get through most of the closers, the projected closers anyway. And we're looking back on last season. So some of the guys we're going to be talking about, some of them I'm going to graze over a little bit more than others, to be honest with you. Uh, like David Robertson, maybe he gets a chance down the stretch to save games at some point this year. But as of right now, uh, he's not going to be getting saved, despite the fact he was not one of the more valuable closers in fantasy last year. But considering the price you had to pay for the saves he gave you, which I think it was like 20 or so saves we got out of David Robertson, uh, it was pretty good. But, you know, going forward into next year, there's probably not going to be too many save opportunities for him, barring some kind of injury or something happening. So we're, we're going to touch on him at some point. But we're going to start off with the guys here, mostly who are more exceptional than David Robertson, not to not to shit on the guy because he had a 240 ERA, give you 20 saves, but there's not really a role for him as of right now. So we're, we're going to skip over guys like him, and we're going to talk about some guys today like Clay Holmes, David Bednar, Felix Batista, and a couple of other guys who potentially will be their team's closers. Maybe not to start the season, but there's a good path for them uh, to be closing throughout the year. Where David Robertson... It's pretty much just injury dependent. So we'll talk about him, but we're going to start with some of the bigger names first. Before we get into that, though, I just want to remind you guys, I was a guest on the On The Wire podcast this weekend. It came out. It came out New Year's Day. Uh, you guys should go check that out. On The Wire, it's part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. With Adam Howe and Kevin Hastings, these guys are fantastic at what they do. Kevin and I were already friends beforehand, and I met Adam for the first time. We were going through, first of all, some some breaking news that had happened. We talked about some signings that had happened uh, Gene Segura, Corey Kluber, uh, Craig Kimbrell we talked about, Rich Hill. And then we talked about some different narratives that are around fantasy baseball. I talked about multi-position eligibility. Kevin was talking about the value of at-bats and innings pitched. And Adam was talking about rookies and their success in fantasy over these last couple of seasons. If you haven't checked it out, you should really go and do so over on wherever you get your podcast on The Wire. It was a great episode. If I do say so myself, I had a lot of fun being on with those guys, but you should go check it out now. Enough of the preamble, enough of the rambling out of me. Let's get into these relief pitchers, and we're going to start with Felix Batista. Felix Batista 
really benefited from Jorge Lopez being traded away mid-season. He was somebody that people were talking about as a speculative ad even before that. And then once Lopez was traded to Minnesota, Batista became one of the best pickups that you could find in the second half. He finished with 15 saves, four victories, a 219 ERA that went along with great pitching indicators, all below three. Uh, let's make sure the Sierra was below. Yeah, the Sierra was well below three. Uh, everything was good there. He was striking out just about 35% of his batters, walking just above 9%, which you can live with considering all the other numbers he's giving you. The whip was at 0.93. It was a fantastic season for him. He was really, truly one of the most valuable players that you could have picked up on the waiver wire in the second half of the season. And heading into next year, no reason to think that he is not going to be the everyday guy there in Baltimore closing out games. The rest of their bullpen is, you know, granted it's not bad, but he is going to be the clear-cut favorite to be getting saves. Now, he's somebody where, I, I you, you know, there's not a long track record to have built off of. This was his rookie season. Uh, he had spent a long time in the minor leagues. He was in rookie ball for several years. Uh, he was in A for several years. Like, he has a long journey through the minor leagues, which started when he was fairly young. He was, like, 18 or so when he first came up with Miami, and he's been in Baltimore system for a long time here, going back to 2016. Good to see him get a chance and actually succeed because his numbers in the minor leagues were always pretty decent. Those ERAs were always pretty low. He was striking out a lot of batters. He's always had a bit of a control problem, but he did get that under grips more so than he had the minors this season. Typically in the minors, we'd seen some horrendous walk rates from him, like sometimes over like 15, 20% kind of thing. Getting it at 9.1 in his first stretch in the big leagues, very, very promising. And Baltimore as a whole is also a pretty promising team. We've talked about them quite a bit on the pod over the course of the year, really, because they were just such a big surprise in baseball. They did so well. And guys like Batista coming out of the woodwork and doing that for them was a huge reason why. Now, heading into next year, I think you got to be fairly confident with him. If not, you know, you're not going to be terribly thrilled at the price you're paying. He's currently going at pick 69 in terms of all draft champions. Now, let me just do a quick uh, edit on the on the time frame. Let's just go from December 1st and see if he's going any higher there. 62. Still going within that same general range, and I think it's fine. I'm not thrilled about taking him there. Like, I would I would rather take one of those more sure things, uh, sure things, sure thing players, if we're talking about taking a closer in the top 70 or so picks. Not necessarily your Diaz and your Classe, but even a Hendricks or a Mono, a Hater, a Presley, you're paying a little bit more for them, but you have more years of a track record to build off of. And, you know, in all those cases, you're looking at, for the most part anyway, a, a better team that you're going to have. Not to say that Baltimore's not a good team. They are a good team, but they're in a very tough division where wins, even though they're not playing the division as much, might be a little harder to come by, and so will those save opportunities in general. Now, we talked about Daniel Bard last weekend about how he was on a 68-win team, and he won or he saved 34 games. It doesn't always work like that. But you're taking guys on better teams and overall pitchers with more you know, storied track records than Felix Batista and his, you know, how many innings did he pitch in the majors? 65 innings in the majors, you're looking at, you know, probably he's going to do well. But if you are looking for more of a sure thing, uh, then I would take Ryan Presley around earlier. Honestly, like, I, I don't see any problem with that. There's another guy who you could take even a few picks later, uh, Rizal Iglesias, who has, you know, as sure of a thing on a better team. And, you know, he's a little bit cheaper. So he's also somebody to consider in that range. A couple other guys we're going to talk about going a little bit lower. And not to say that I don't like him here, 
but it's not without its risk. So, you know, I would say cautiously, I'm I'm all right to do it. But at the same time, do you want to be paying up this kind of price for somebody who's only pitched 65 major league innings, as good as they were? Uh, I personally don't think I'm going to have many shares of Batista, maybe one or two, but I just can't really get behind him at this price. As much as I'm fine with it, if that makes sense to you guys, like I'm, I'm fine with it, but I'm also personally not really going to be into drafting him here. I think it's reasonable relative to where the other closers are going. I just, I'm a sucker for a track record. I've said it before on the pod many times. If you've done this over the course of several years, then that's going to make me a lot more confident in your ability. Whatever it is, whether it's stealing bases, hitting home runs, striking out batters, he was great this season. He was he was excellent. But I'm just a little skeptical that he can maintain it over the same level uh, over the course of a full season. So Felix Batista at pick 69 in recent drafts going pick 62. You guys make the call if that seems like good value to you. For me, I think it's probably fine, uh, but but still very risky. So let's move on. Let's not spend all day talking to Felix Batista, even though I probably could because I really like the guy. I think that he's really good. Uh, but just there are there are safer options to be had. Now let's let's move on. Let's talk about Clay Holmes. He's the next guy that we are going to discuss here. Clay Holmes is an interesting one because he went so much of the year giving you such elite production. And then it, it fell off a cliff. Uh, when did exactly did it fall off? In July. So let's just look at the splits. First half, second half. First half, it was 41 and a third innings. He had a 131 ERA, a 182 batting average against. He was exceptional in the first half. Now, in the second half, 22 and a third innings to give you a 484 ERA. He allowed 12 earned runs in that time and a couple of homers, where in the first half, he had not allowed any home runs. Zero home runs in 41 and a third innings. He fell off a bit down the stretch. Now, that's something that we are going to definitely need to take into consideration here. Also, the fact that he was relatively lucky. He was giving you kind of unsustainable good numbers that first half of the season. A 130 ERA, it's not realistic for anybody, really. Sometimes a reliever pulls one out of the hat, and they can give you that number for a season. But, you know, it's pretty rare. And if they do happen to do that for a whole season, you don't tend to see them carry it over into the next year. But as a whole, he gave you seven wins, 20 saves, a 254 ERA, a 1.02 whip, and a 25% strikeout rate. He was totally, totally fine. Even when he was not giving you maybe exactly what you would have wanted, uh, he was still down the stretch. I think he was still giving you decent saves. I mean, I think he actually might have lost the job briefly. Let me just see the the save splits in the first half and the second half because I, I can't remember them off the top of my head here. Uh, can you even see that over on uh, on Fangraphs? I think you can somewhere. Um, yeah, the saves are hiding for me. Sometimes, the, that's the thing with Fangraphs, and I mentioned this a few times on the pod before, there is so much information that sometimes it can escape you where exactly things are, even if you're not looking at the most complicated page. This is just you know one page for him here, but I actually don't know that they have the saves broken down by half over on over on fan graphs. I will take a look uh, later on, and I'll tweet that out or something if I can find it. I'm not sure about the splits first half and second half, but he's going to go into next season as the Yankee closer. My apologies for the bad radio there. Uh, it does tend to happen. First show of the new year. Shaking off the cobwebs from the weekend. But Clay Holmes, he is still, according to roster resource, according to common sense, he is going to start the season as the Yankees closer. They have some other options in there. They got Johnny Loizaga. They got Wendy Peralta, who's probably not going to be the closer, but he got some saves last year. Uh, Lou Trevino could definitely be somebody who does get you know some saves throughout the season. 
But Clay Holmes is likely going to be your guy in terms of Yankee saves for this year. Now, in terms of his draft price, I think it's pretty good. I think it's fairly reasonable at 130. The minimum pick on him was 61, which is, just seems insanity. Uh, maximum pick was 204. Anywhere in that 130 to 204 range, I'm fine with taking him there. I think that that is pretty decent value. Once you're at that range, the closers do tend to thin up a little bit. Now, we did talk about some value options with Greg when we were talking last week. You guys can check that one out. There are some still options. There are still some options as you go down the board a little bit where you're thinking, okay, there, there's some saves to be had here. But in terms of everyday closers, this is the area where they start to thin out a little bit. There's still going to be some guys, but I don't think it hurts to take Clay Holmes here. You're not paying up too bad. You know, eighth round, ninth round pick. And if you're talking about like him versus Alexis Diaz, you know, we talked about Alexis Diaz last week about the volatility there. Holmes is seven picks more expensive. Give me Holmes every single time. Uh, as you continue to head down the list, there's not another closer for quite a little while. Like we're talking 30, 40 picks. So I think Holmes in this range, depending on your build, probably does make sense to take. And another one, guy that's going around him, Daniel Bard, five picks above him. Uh, I'm taking Holmes there over him every single time. Even though I don't like buy into Holmes' stat set that much, uh, closing for the Yankees, there should be a very good team. There should still be opportunities there. Even just comparing him to Bard, like... It's tricky. Bard's coming off of a really good year, but I don't really expect him to repeat that. Where Holmes coming off an incredible first half, a subpar second half, but I think overall he's got a higher floor pitching for a better team, and there are going to be more opportunities for him to get saves throughout the season. So give me Holmes at the same price, essentially. You're talking within the same round, five picks of each other. Actually, exactly uh, down to the decimals, five picks of each other. I think it makes sense to go for Clay Holmes there. Of course, depending on your build, right? This is all build dependent. If you go closer heavy early on, you know, let's say hypothetically you take Diaz in the second and then you go Hader in the third, I, I wouldn't recommend it. But at that point, you know, you're, you're probably pretty locked up for saves, maybe speculate on one guy later on. It all depends on your build. But I think at pick 130 in that range, Clay Holmes is going to be a pretty decent value. Uh, and I would not have any problem taking him there. Let's talk about another closer here. Not another closer for not a, a great team in the same vein as Daniel Bard a little bit. We're talking David Bednar, somebody that I thought would have been traded by now. Uh, I thought he was going to get traded during the year last year. There was a lot of talk about that, even in the offseason. The Pirates are a weird team to figure out, right? Like the Pirates, I, I don't know what the hell their, their organizational philosophy is, what they're trying to do. It's an incredibly weird lineup. It's a weird rotation. It's a weird bullpen. The only guy that you have any faith in in that bullpen is David Bednar. You could argue the only pitcher that you have any confidence in drafting for fantasy this year is Bednar. Maybe you feel you know, a certain way about Ronzi Contreras or you know, maybe, maybe Rich Hill in certain deeper formats. I, I wouldn't really recommend it. Bednar is pretty much the best pitcher on this team, and not even pretty much. He is the best pitcher on this team. We've seen two years in a row now of him giving you really solid ratios. Specifically, I mean, he was a little bit better ratio-wise in 2021, but he didn't have that full-time closer gig. This year, he gave you 19 saves, which was which was tough, right? I mean, if you drafted him as a closer, you didn't draft him too high up, but you'd hope for 19 or more than 19 saves. And he gave you a good strikeout percentage, those good ratios, three wins. So it wasn't a bad year for him. Uh, I believe he missed some time with an injury. I can't remember right now exactly, but 51 innings pitched. There is something that makes me think that he had an injury. And let me just pull that up real quick here, his injury history, because I think that might have been – I think he missed a little bit of time. 
uh, this season. Let's just see here now. Uh, David Bednar, he had a back injury uh, at one point during the season. I think that's what it was. I think it was a ba- I think it was his back that caused him to miss some time. But in terms of his outlook, I don't expect him to be on Pittsburgh for the entire season. And you know, it's very hard to look at this team and know what the hell is going on because they're going to suck. But they've also shown hesitance to actually tear it down, tear it down. What are we even tearing down? It's pretty much just trading Brian Reynolds. That's what they're hesitant to do. They're going to demand a big offer. You know, I heard the Yankees were interested and the Jays were interested for a while, and a couple other teams have kicked the tires. I think if Brian Reynolds gets traded, we know for sure that Bednar will as well because those are their two pieces that they should be moving on from. Uh, realistically, those are the guys that are going to have the most trade value other than, you know, O'Neal Cruz, Cabrian Hayes, guys who I'd expect them to want to keep. I think that there's a good chance that we see Reynolds and Bednar get moved. And that would obviously make us have to reevaluate everything that we know about Bednar and everything we assume about his fantasy value for next season. Because let's say he gets traded to a team, you know, you could see whatever. I can't think of a team off the top of my head, but, you know, a team that is looking for a closer that will we'll shovel out money or a team that already has a closer and they're just looking to strengthen their bullpen. It's hard to say uh, how interested I am in him. Currently I pick 107. I think that that's a reasonable enough price. You know, you're starting to get to the, to the closer dead zone. He'd be one of the last guys you can take where you're fairly confident still. But I think there is a really good chance that we see him dealt throughout the season at some point. And that is really, we don't know if that would be positive or negative. There's a chance it would be very positive for his value. If he gets traded to a contending team, let's say a closer goes down for a contending team or whatever, you know, hypothetically, let's say Ryan Presley gets hurt or something, although they have options there. Let's just say Jordan Romano gets hurt for the Blue Jays and they want to bring in a closer option. They bring in Bednar. You know, this is a complete hypothetical and I, I, I can't even believe I'm saying it, but let's say Romano misses the season. God forbid, touch wood. Big Blue Jays homer here. But let's say it happens. The Jays bring in David Bednar to be their closer. Then obviously Bednar's value is going to go up. Pitching for a better team. So I think it's a slightly worse ballpark. I'm not, I can't remember now. Um, I'm not great with ballpark factors off the top of my head. Other than Coors and Great American Ballpark, I'm not great with ballpark factors. But going to Toronto, going to a better team, obviously a better lineup, better everything, especially if he has a closer role, that would make you boost him up in however you you do your rankings or in your drafts, whatever. As of right now, he is really, really hard. Because let's just say he stays in Pittsburgh the entire year. This team is going to suck. Like, how many how many chances are they going to have for saves? You know, obviously, we, we used the, the Daniel Bard example last week. Use it again earlier today, and I'll use it again now. You see crazy shit happen. 34 saves out of 68 wins. It's possible that the Pirates could win, you know, 64 games, and you see Bednar get 33 saves. It's Almost impossible, but it, it could happen. At the same time, he could go out there and give you 18 saves over a full season with this team. He's very hard to predict in terms of that. Now, he gives you good strikeouts. He gives you good ratios. So that you can depend on wherever he goes. Even if he does get traded, you know, these last two years, you've seen the pitching indicators telling you that he is legitimately good. Uh, they're not crazy out of whack. This year, his XERA was a little bit higher than the other than the other pitching indicators, but everything else, you know, 244 FIP, 283 XFIP. His Sierra was at 253, and this is the second straight year of, you know, very low ERA, nearly a sub-2.5 ERA, like he did last year with the indicators to back it up. Good strikeout numbers. I like him a lot as a pitcher. It's just his situation in Pittsburgh that makes me hesitant to draft him. I think the price is fair, 
But I also, maybe it's not. Like, maybe he gets traded and he is going to be a setup man for whoever. And then it's, you know, we're into David Robertson territory, like we were talking earlier. Or we're into Rafael Montero territory. Or maybe like the guy we're going to talk about next, though I hope it doesn't end up like this, Andres Munoz. He was one of the absolute elite relief pitchers of this season. He was one of my favorite pitchers to roster. I wrote articles about him. I talked about him on podcasts. When I was on Baseball HQ, uh, HQ Radio with Patrick Davitt, I talked about Andres Munoz at length. We talked about him in First Pitch Arizona. Uh, Doug Dennis was talking about him for a while. Like He was a very popular name. He's a very popular target for next year. And how could you not love what he did uh, over the course of the season? Only two wins and only four saves. But a 2.49 ERA, a .89 whip, and he struck out 38.7% of the batters that he faced. 96 strikeouts in 65 innings. You will take that every day. You will take that every day, even if he's not the closer, right? And that's the thing. That was my argument this past season. And people were saying, it's Sewell's job. It's not going to be Munoz. Uh, he's not an ad. I heard that for a while. And for a while, you know, it, it might have been true. But... You see what he did with the ratios, getting the odd save here and there. He actually had more value than Paul Sewell did because of the strikeouts, because of those ratios, even though he left a bunch of saves on the table compared to what Sewell had. He had 16 more saves than Munoz did, but Munoz was still overall uh, the more valuable fantasy player last season as a whole. Now, they're going literally right at the same price as each other this season. 175.6 for Sewald, 176.7 for Munoz, just below. Personally, I'm going to have to be taking Munoz where I can. You know, you get up to a draft, and it's it's the both of them. I'm going to be going with Munoz, even though Sewald might start the, uh, the season as the closer. Uh, I think he probably will. But you have to have more faith in Munoz's stuff. He is a better pitcher. That is what it comes down to. I mean, ideally, you're drafting positional, not positional, you're drafting talent other than positional role or, you know, whatever in the bullpen. He's he's the closer, so we draft him. Like, that's the way we have to work in fantasy a lot of the time where we take the role. But if you can draft the skills where you get Munoz at the same price as Sewell, and, and, you know, Sewell's good, but Munoz is great. And I think that Seattle will realize that at some point this season. Sewell is still expected to start as the closer. I believe Fangraphs' roster resource. Let's just take a look. I believe he would still be there. Uh, let's see. He is still in the closer spot. Munoz in the setup role. And then, of course, they have Diego Castillo as well, who has you know, been a closer in this league. He knows how to close games. I wouldn't worry about him so much. I think Munoz is the guy to really target. you got the young 24-year-old absolute fireballer. I think he hit 103 this year. Like the dude, the dude is legit. And I think throughout the course of the season, maybe it won't start off that way, but you will be able to get saves out of Munoz. And even if you don't, we could see a repeat of last year where he's giving you incredible ratios, incredible strikeout numbers, and still giving you the odd win, uh, the odd save here and there, which is, which is not what you would ideally hope. Like you'd hope for 30 saves and that he gets the everyday role. But if we knew that for sure, then you wouldn't be getting him in the 12th round, right? You're getting him in that round, in that range, because we're not really sure what his role is going to be. Like, if you just look at this, it is crazy that him, the setup man, is going only one pick behind the guy who is the closer, has been the closer, is seen as the more trusted arm out there in their bullpen. But Munoz is, is just better. You don't see that very often in baseball, where the setup man is going in the same range as the closer. But... It's because of how talented he is, and I think people are kind of expecting him throughout the year 
to get the job at, you know, even if it's not the entire year, you might just get, you know, a couple months of, of Munoz as the closer, end up with 12 saves, seven wins. Like, he could be a 10-10 guy. Ideally, he, he is going to be a 10-10 guy, ideally. Uh, but it's very possible to see 10 wins and 10 saves at a Munoz this year. I would not be surprised. It gives you, you know, if he's one of the top 10 relievers in baseball, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. So I pick 176 for me. I think it's a steal. I'm going to be taking him there in every draft if he is still sitting there. And when it comes time for home league drafts, because we're talking NFBC draft champions, we're talking people who pay a lot of attention to fantasy. And if you're listening to a baseball podcast in January, feels weird to say we're in January, but if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty into baseball as well. You're probably somebody who has already at least been looking at early ADP. We've talked about it a lot on the show. You're one of the sharper minds in your league, unless everybody in your league is listening to podcasts and stuff, which I, I that's my home league is not like that. You know, there are some people who listen to, you know, the odd podcast, the fantasy pros and CBS and the more mainstream ones. Most people aren't going around listening to every single podcast and hearing, you know, this guy's a steal, this guy's a bust, whatever. I think when it comes time for home league drafts, Munoz is going to be going past pick 200 because people will look at the prior year data. Yeah. Three wins, or two wins and four saves. He's not projected to be the closer. If people, if the casual players even get that deep in the analysis, like I truly think he's going to go past pick 200. He'll be somebody where, and we've talked about this on the show with regards to multiple players, last pick of the draft territory. That is where he is going to be in your home leagues for the most part. He's going to be somebody you can take probably last, second last pick. And I think that he is really going to pay off there. He is really cheap considering the skill set, considering what he just did a year ago. He was one of the best relievers in baseball, even without the massive counting stats, other than strikeouts, of course. So really consider him once you get to this range. I think that he is going to be a really hot commodity in these higher stakes drafts come draft season. But I think it'll go the opposite way when it comes time for your Yahoo's and your ESPNs to open up, because I just don't think that the average fantasy player, and they use those platforms more so than, than, you know, your, your higher stakes players, your off season drafters, those people are going to be more casual. They're not going to really care about Munoz. And if you're playing in any of those leagues, specifically if you're in a cash league in those in those particular formats, uh, I think you'd be able to take advantage of that draft pick and really get some good value out of Munoz. But let's talk about one more guy here before I let you guys go. And it's a relatively similar situation with this guy we're going to talk about. It's Giovanni Gallegos. And man, has his stock ever fallen across baseball over these last couple of years. Now, I can't remember where exactly his ADP was last season, but it was pretty high. Uh, I remember, I think it was Bubba, Casey Bubba was saying that Paul Spohr took him in the draft in Arizona last year, and he took him like in the 50s or 60s or something like that. And that's relatively where he was going. Uh, now his ADP for this season is 275. And one of the craziest min-max pick differences of guys who are relatively mainstream. I know he's not terribly mainstream, but minimum pick on Gallegos was 71 this year. I don't know who picked him at 71, but that's that's a crime. Uh, got him. Somebody took him at 390 as the max. <laughs> it's a very rare you see somebody with that great of a discrepancy going this high in drafts. And it's not like he's going crazy high at pick 275, but we're talking draft champions. It's relatively high to have that kind of a difference between your minimum and your maximum pick. Is, is kind of insane. But I think that there is still hope to be had with Gallegos, even though he is not going to start the year as the closer for St. Louis. At least we don't think so. We're expecting it to be Ryan Helsley because that's what it likely should be. Helsley was incredible last season. He's probably going to get the shot out of the gate. 
But Gallegos, I think, makes a really solid option. And he's somebody where I wouldn't be looking at him in your shallower formats. You know, where Munoz is an ideal last pick in your shallower formats for me. Uh, Gallegos, I think partly because he's going so much later and partly because he's truly not going to have that much value if he's not the closer. Like, Munoz gets by because he gives you those crazy high strikeouts where you get good strikeouts with Gallegos, 31%, but you're leaving like 7 8% on the table there in terms of your strikeout percentage if you're going with Gallegos. Now, the ratios should still be pretty good. The thing where I would be interested in, or the, the situation where I'd be interested in, is if we see Ryan Helsley struggle out of the gate. And I think that that's where you'd be wanting to pick him up. Because Helsley, we think he's going to be good again, but he's not going to give you a 1.25 ERA again. He's just not. Like the indicators were fantastic for Helsley this year, but you can't. You, you nobody can do that. A one twenty five ERA. I don't care what projections or statistics or whatever anything says. Nobody is capable of giving you that low of an ERA year after year. It is impossible. It does not happen in baseball. He's going to go at the very minimum. You're going to see a two 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 five ERA from him. Like, that would be absolute best-case scenario. And I think that there is still room for there to be some more regression for Ryan Helsley. Like, okay, he could be a 9 wins, 19 saves, a 125 ERA. He struck out nearly 40% of batters. Like, all glorious. He allowed a 185 BABIP, and he stranded 93% of runners on base. Those numbers are not going to maintain for an entire career, let alone for even more than a season. You know, he threw 64 innings last year, and he was able to give you those kind of numbers. Fantastic. I don't think we should expect that at all heading into next year. Now, he's still going to be, you know, he's somebody that I drafted in the D.C. we were doing, and it was partially, and this was in Arizona, I drafted him partially because closers were flying off the board like hotcakes, and I wanted to make sure that I was still able to get one. So I kind of panic took Helsley, I think, in round seven, eight, in that kind of range. I think it was round seven now that I think about it. And, you know, it's... At that point, I was fairly happy to get him. I think it was like close to pick 100, relative, like around there anyway. Uh, I was pretty happy with him there. He's going to pick 74 right now. And, you know, doing that draft over again, if I could do it, I wouldn't take Helsley because I really like him. But at the same time, we're going to see a bunch of regression. It's just the way that the world works. He's somebody who had some cups of coffee the years prior. 47 innings, uh, 12 innings, 36 innings. And he was never that good. Like, he just, he was never that great. Like, let me take a look at his pitch mix and see if something, like, drastically changed with him. Um, he was throwing the same pitches, you know, 56% fastball up to 57. Cutter, 34, down to 32. Change up from, or curveball from 7% to 10%. That's the only real change there, a 3% pitch mix uh, change up there. And then we saw his his changeup go from 2.7 to 0.6% usage. So essentially just stopped using it. Now he did get some increased velo. The fastball went from a 97.5 on average to 99. But I don't think that's enough to to get you these numbers year after year, especially this BABIP and the left on base percentage. 185 BABIP is, in, is stupidly low. Stranding almost 94% of runners on base is impossible. It's not going to happen at least impossible in larger sample sizes than 64 innings. Like, it, it can happen. You can get lucky for a while. But to bank on that year in and year out, I'm not going to really be doing that. Gallegos' price is 275 You take him in your draft champions, or maybe, even, maybe, I wouldn't really recommend it, but your last pick 
of your home league, even though I, I think that that's definitely more something I'd be interested in with Munoz. I think you you probably just wait it out in a home league situation and pick him up as soon as you see Helsley have a bad outing. In terms of a DC, I would be drafting him in this spot pretty regularly because I still think that there is a good chance that even let's say he doesn't get the full-time closer role, uh, he'll still be giving you some saves, good strikeouts, pretty solid ratios. I'd be pretty happy uh, to be taking Gallegos at that range because there's not a hell of a lot of risk, but there is still the upside of somebody who can give you 20, 25 saves. And like we said, good numbers across the board pitching for a very good team, which of course is both of them. They're both pitching for a very good team. But I think down the stretch, uh, I, I would not be at all surprised to see Giovanni Gallegos take over that closer role. Andres Munoz and Giovanni Gallegos, by the end of season, I expect them both to likely be the closers for their teams. And it, it pains me to say it because Helsley's, Helsley's fantastic. But he had one of those miracle seasons that you can't really, you can't really look at it and say, okay, this is who he is. Uh, he's going to be striking out this many batters, you know, close to 40% strikeout rate. When in his previous cups of coffee in the bigs, we're talking about about 20% strikeout rate. In the minors, all throughout his career in the minors, the highest percentage of strikeouts that he ever had was in 2018 in rookie ball. He struck out 33% of batters, and we were talking, that was literally one game. Uh, Okay, so that's not even something you can really use here. 2018 in AAA, yeah, like all the sample sizes of him with big strikeout numbers are very, very small. He is more of a mid-20s kind of strikeout range guy in the minors. And then in the majors, he'd been low 20s, even below 20% uh, in the 2020 season. To go up to 40%, uh, it's fantastic that he was great, but to expect it, again, might be a bit of a stretch. So Gallegos is a nice insurance policy to take later on in the draft, specifically if you take Helsley. If you take both of them, then you know for sure, I mean, barring anything crazy happening, that you have the closer for one of the better teams in baseball. So... I would be very, very happy to take both of them, specifically if you're taking Helsley and he's falling a little bit because, I don't know, where I got him closer to pick 100, I'm I'm happy with that. I think he's a tricky one. Like, I want to want him. I want to want Helsley, but there's the numbers point you in a different direction. I'm... I'm happy enough, I should say. I'll I'll rephrase my, my earlier sentiments. I'm happy enough to take him where he's going, but I want some insurance as well. I wouldn't want him like I did in that first DC to be my first closer. Uh, I messed up there. Going back on it, it's not something that I would do for sure. I would take somebody a little more certain or maybe after the fact, hell, maybe I'll do it still because that draft is still going on. Maybe I'll take Gallegos a little bit down the board. I think it's going to pick up in two weeks, that draft. But anyway, guys, that's going to do it for us. I hope everybody had a fantastic New Year celebration. I spent it with some old friends. We got drunk as all hell and had a great time. I hope you guys did the same. You guys can check out the show on Twitter. I mean, not the show on Twitter. It goes out on Twitter. You can check out all of our baseball content on Twitter at EthosFantasyBB. That is the important account to go follow. All of our new articles, podcasts, different work that goes directly to Twitter is all posted there. So please make sure you guys are following. You can hit up my personal account at JoeOrico99, J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. And you guys can leave some kind words at the bottom of the page if it is in your, if you're feeling inclined, I should say. I'm still still struggling with my words here after the new year a little bit. You guys got to forgive me. I went pretty hard over the weekend. But you guys want to be absolute beauties. You can leave some kind words down in the comment section. Hit the five-star button wherever it is that you listen to these podcasts. And we're going to be back tomorrow with some more RP reviews, relief pitcher closer reviews, 
and we'll keep going down another five or six names for the rest of the week. And then by the end of it, we'll have done six, seven shows. We'll have done 35, 40 relievers. And then hopefully you guys will be all taken care of in terms of your reliever draft prep. We'll get into it more, of course, as the season progresses, as the offseason progresses, because there still could be trades. There still could be movement that will make us uh, change our opinion on current situations. Like David Bednar, like we talked about, he could be traded. They could bring in somebody else, potentially. Who knows what the Pirates are going to do? They're a shit show. We don't know. But until tomorrow, guys, I hope you guys have a fantastic night. I hope you guys had fantastic New Year's and holidays overall. And we will see you again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. Take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.